0: This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Christopher Bjornberg, Chief Executive Officer of Mayor's Memorial Healthcare District. Christopher, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare right now, but before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been in healthcare administration uh, going on 18 years now, 10 of that as a hospital uh, executive CEO and um, kind of got started going this direction just because of, you know, growing up, uh, lived in a rural area, uh, had a brother who had some health issues, and I saw the the issues that my parents had. on um, trying to deal with that in a rural setting, and when I had the opportunity to see and hear what a critical access hospital was, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the direction I want to go, and so that's what I kind of Push my career in that direction to be able to make sure that we have good viable services for healthcare in rural areas.
0: That's amazing to hear and definitely always great to know what is inspiring healthcare leaders to really um, jump into the space and be passionate about what they do with their hospitals and their organizations. So when you think about where we're at in healthcare today, and especially for rural healthcare, there's a lot of challenges that are compounded by being a rural facility, whether it's financial or access to care. So what are some of the things that you're spending most of your time on today? What's top of mind for you?
1: Well, for us in California in particular, there's a couple of things that we have to deal with. They're looking at pushing out a $25 an hour minimum wage for healthcare, which will have a pretty dramatic impact on us as an organization, as well as several others. Um, interestingly enough, where we're sitting in a situation where you know, over half of the hospitals out there are losing money and have a negative margin, Um, They're going to add this on top of that, which is going to make those vulnerable hospitals even more vulnerable and, in fact, probably lead to some of them closing because you just can't sustain that kind of loss at that point in time, which means for our larger hospitals that we partner with, it's going to increase wait times there and and have other negative impacts uh, on their organizations. So it's not just something that affects us as small rural hospitals obviously going to have a big impact on the rest of them as well on top of that like california has another 2030 seismic issue that we're dealing with um, basically all of the hospitals have to get up to compliance for seismic um, by the year 2030 which as you can imagine for some of these smaller hospitals uh, like mine that's independent can be very difficult there's a reason why some of our buildings are 40 50 years old and older and that's because our margins don't allow us to be able to regularly um, upkeep our facilities. We're basically doing what we can to keep the doors open most of the time. And there's this seismic initiative that they put out there that we all have to adhere to. But on the back end of that, there's also no help. So there's no help from a financial perspective. Um, in particular, in the state of California, we, we you know, they call Medi-Cal here, which everybody else calls Medicaid. And and with that, there are issues stemming from the fact that we're in one of the states that has the highest cost of living, and yet we have one of the lowest Medi-Cal or Medicaid reimbursement rates. Um, We're actually ranked number nine or eight, I believe, um, in the entire country as far as lowest um, Medi-Cal reimbursement. And so it's just very difficult to have this uh, seismic initiative put on to us and have no way to pay for it. On top of that, especially for those rural hospitals that are independent, and we don't have like a, a Mercy, Dignity, um, Kaiser, or any you know parent company that fits the bill, so to speak, like some of the other smaller hospitals have. So it makes it very difficult. So those are a couple of things that kind of keep this up. And of course, for us, it's no different than anywhere else, There, there's the nursing shortage, and that can be amplified in a rural area, just because there's even fewer people to pull from. And so for us that's on top of our mind we're really focusing on what we can do from a recruiting standpoint and then even further from that, what we can do from a retention standpoint to keep those people in. we want to keep our good people and make sure that we have those services that we can provide on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis, and so forth from now into the future because it's very difficult for us to find those folks and, and we want to be able to keep them. And so, agency usage is up um, here just like anywhere else. And that is another uh, resource that um, taxes our financials and it's a necessity at this point in time. And so, Anything that we can do to offset that, we're working on.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And what an interesting challenge that it is uh, having to be in such a state like California as you mentioned with uh, considering boosting the minimum wage significantly would be for your organization and then too with the seismic issues needing to make big potential capital investments you know when you think about that and are, are looking into the future um what types of I guess solutions are you able to think through are you spending more time trying to think about potential affiliations or philanthropy or advocating um, at the state level for what Health facilities need? How does your, um, I guess, day-to-day responsibilities change when you think about, you know, making sure that you'll have what you need to be uh, able to run as an organization and serve your community over the next few years, even if these things do go to, into effect?
1: So it is kind of all of the above, um, really. We, we're looking at opportunities from our standpoint. We're, we are located about an hour and 15 minutes outside of another larger semi-urban area, And so for our folks in our area that we have um, a responsibility for to provide those services, uh, there's a lot of services that are being provided at that larger hospital um, that's an hour and a half away, hour 15 minutes away. And through the mountainous roads, this time of year can be very difficult. So we're looking at things that we can do to bring some services here that actually make sense. So we've partnered with um chartists and as far as pulling data and looking at information for services that are going outside of our area that we could potentially provide here what kind of um revenue we could expect if we were able to bring those in house and really kind of going through that list so as we look at what we need to do into the future what is our community telling us what their needs are and using that information along with our community health needs assessment to really tailor what services we provide in that direction. So that's one piece that we're we're doing to try and help offset that, to see what we can do. We know and understand as a a hospital, especially as a critical access hospital in particular, um, our bread and butter is not from inpatient stays. In reality, it's also not from emergency room. It's going to be the outpatient services that we can provide to make sure that our community Continues to remain healthy and, and provides more wellness rather than treating um, symptoms and treating issues that they're having. So, keeping them well and, and having opportunities for them to have services up here that can help with that is going to be what's going to keep us open. So, that's a big piece of it. Outside of that, um, you know, working with CHA, which is our California Hospital Association, um, working with ACHD, which is our association of california hospital district to help from a legislative standpoint um, speaking with our representatives and and trying to have our voices heard is a big piece of that as well obviously this is not something that just affects us it affects everybody and so helping them understand the impact that it can have um, knowing that we cover as rural hospitals in california in particular we cover more than half of the state but our beds make up only about 19% of the beds in the state. Um, So we have a very large area, geographical area that we cover, And we have a large group of people that we cover that without us being here, makes it very difficult for them to get the care that they need. And you can already find all sorts of data out there about rural health and the importance of that and what that means to people in those rural areas that inevitably supply most of our food and other resources um, to the rest of this state, the rest of the country, and so forth. So it's important for our legislators to know and understand the impact that they have as they make these votes and as they try to push certain things through, um, what it can mean to rural areas in general, and inevitably what that means downstream from there. So those are a couple of things that we do. Um, affiliations, obviously, we look at what we can do with our, our fellow Rural hospitals in in close proximity. Anything that we can do to help get together and and try to offset costs, maybe spread it out over two or three of us for certain things. Anything along those lines, we we will always look at trying to do. We have a great group of hospitals that we work with up here already. Um, you know, we do a great job as a as an organization here, reaching out and and asking questions. Um, a lot of the the my team is resources for other organizations as well and it's just something that you have to do you have to be you know technically they're a competitor but at the same time if something happens to them it's it's worse for us as well so there's a lot of things that we can be doing to work together to make things better and so we're constantly reaching out to figure out what we can do with that
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's really interesting how you've got this multi-pronged approach to making sure that you are um, moving forward and doing what you can to solidify the hospital and in, in thinking through all the potential scenarios. Now, what are you most excited about right now and what makes you nervous?
1: You know, I think for us, there's a lot to be excited about. Healthcare in general is, is something that's important. And, and we have uh, a great team here. We have great community and there's a lot of opportunities for us as we look at services that we can provide in the community uh things that we can do to make things better for not only us as an organization but the community as a whole that is that makes it kind of exciting as you come in day to day and we find out okay well where are we moving now what what direction you know what's the next steps and and so those pieces are exciting as you really look at trying to put that puzzle together for a community and, and remain viable. Um, it, it can be a little, a little nerve wracking at the same time, but there's also a lot of excitement about that as well. I think as a whole, as we come out of this pandemic and, and go into an endemic stage, there were all, obviously a lot of positives and negatives that came from that, from a healthcare perspective. But I think one of the positive pieces that really came out of that is people really started to see how important um, healthcare care is in our country and how important it is to have services available. And to me, that's an exciting piece because um, that's why we're here. That's why, we're, why we do what we do. And to be able to be a part of that and kind of see how people started supporting more and, um, and saw the importance of, of what it is that we do. And, and it's not just a scenario where we're not like everybody else. And what I mean by that is most places that people go to work, um, whether it be, you know, Walmart or or Disneyland or whatever the case might be, like people want to go there. Right. People want to go there. They have a desire to go there to get what they need. Nobody wants to go to the hospital. Nobody wants to go to the doctor's office. Um, That's not a that's not a need. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "Yay, I get to go. You know, my appointments today, this is going to be great. Um, It's usually very negative. And and so you kind of work behind the eight ball from that standpoint as a health organization. But I think that COVID has kind of helped people understand that there's more that we can do than just treat. And it kind of goes back to what I mentioned before. We have an opportunity to be able to provide wellness and and make uh, an impact on our community from a wellness perspective. And that's exciting to me. Um, As far as what makes me nervous. Um, you know, outside of the things that we've already listed, uh, really coming down to that nursing shortage. I think that there's a lot that happens in the background that many of us aren't even aware of as far as that contributes to that nursing shortage. And it is a difficult job. It's not something for the faint of heart, that's for sure. And it's something that is very rewarding at the same time. But it's one of those jobs where you walk out of the door some days. And you're like, man, why do I do this? And other days you walk out the door and you think to yourself, this is why I do it. And one of the things I look at is my responsibility as a a CEO of an organization is to try and make that happen more often than not when they can walk out and say, this is why I do that. So it's to make the bad days bearable and make the good days even better. And to me, that's important, but it's also very keeps me very nervous at the same time, just because there is such a need for nurses, and, and you have organizations that, uh, you know, it comes back to supply and demand and nursing shortage. And you have these, these groups that are taking advantage of that. And, um, and it, it, it's a, that cost is it's pretty heavy on, on mid, most organizations and rural hospitals in particular, when you're looking at paying upwards of 150 to $250 an hour for a nurse. Um, that takes your resources pretty quickly.
0: Absolutely. And, and definitely it seems like a, a huge, huge challenge industry-wide. I know a lot of organizations have definitely felt the uptick in nurse pay, whether it's with travelers or with uh, their full-time staff nurses or part-time nurses as well. So it's certainly something that I know the industry is trying to figure out and, and make sure they're able to provide those uh Care teams in the right way and make sure they've got the right teams for the organization, but at the same time, you know, understanding that they can't um, be putting all of their resources towards towards the nurse pay and that kind of thing. Um, so that's definitely helpful to think about. Now, as we move forward, and definitely healthcare is one of those areas that continues to fall, evolve and grow and develop, what skills do you think will be most necessary for effective healthcare leaders to make sure their organizations are stable and successful going forward?
1: You know, I think that um, from my perspective, a big piece of that really comes from being flexible. The tide changes quickly in healthcare. And you need to be able to move with those waves when it happens and, and understand this is the direction that it's going and so how does that impact us as an organization and, and how can we ride the wave rather than trying to stand against it and just constantly getting knocked over. So I think that ability to be adaptable and flexible is, is very important for healthcare um, executives in general. On top of that, I would also throw out that that communication is gonna be key uh, there's so much that's happening right now and so much that's going on and as as you look at what has to happen in an organization, if that communication is not there and if you're not doing everything that you need to from a communication standpoint and helping people understand why these changes are happening and the purpose behind that, then it's much more difficult for that to happen and, and change is inevitable and it has to happen and so people have to know and understand that. And, I think it makes it difficult, too, because sometimes that communication is not what people want to hear. And you have everybody that has their own opinion and helping people understand that everybody can have their own opinion. But at the end of the day, we need to make the the right choice for the organization and what we're doing for our community as we move forward and and, and get behind that. You know, I talk to my team about it quite a bit. One of the I, I always tell them that there's two things that need to happen for effective communication to take place the first thing that has to happen is the person giving the communication has to give it in such a way that they there's no intent to offend. And then the person receiving communication has to receive it without the intent to be offended. And if you can do that, if you can give communication without the intent to offend and receive it without the intent to be offended, then there's so much more that can get done. But oftentimes it's a, something happened to somebody at some point in time and and, and there's just a lot of issues that kind of sit in a room sometimes that make it difficult for that proper communication to take place because people close themselves down whether that's your own team um, or an organ as an organization or community members or whatever the case might be that line of communication has to remain open and we have to be able to have those conversations um, that aren't comfortable and and be able to talk through those so i think if you can be resilient And you can have that clear communication and be able to have those tough conversations. Those are going to be things that are going to be key to being successful over the next two to three years with all the changes and all the other things that are going on.
0: Absolutely. I can imagine it's not always the easiest thing, but certainly, as you mentioned, the right thing to do, especially thinking about the longevity of the organization and how it can serve the most patients in the future. Christopher, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really amazing conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Sounds great. Thank you, Laura.